0: This is the Lightning Junkies Podcast with your host, Chaz. On this week's episode of the podcast, we have Alex Bosworth talking about running a routing node. I really wanted to have Alex on the show this week just because I feel like he has so much to contribute in helping people to get their own routing node started, figuring out what they're missing, figuring out their first steps. So in that vein, hopefully you find this episode informative and instructive. Just to let you know, we've added a new design to our store at store.lightningjunkies.net. This new design is in the form of both a sticker and a t-shirt. The CU on the Lightning Network design, one that I think you guys will really like. Please check it out once again at store.lightningjunkies.net. Please consider purchasing one if you find the show informative and or useful one of our themes that we're going with that in order to be a healthier individual we need to make sure that all of our different parts know that they are loved and they are loved but if for whatever reason you feel like you don't love yourself or at least some in some partial way you don't love yourself ask yourself what you can do to change that and work towards that goal anyway with that being said i think let's go ahead and jump into this week's episode like to go ahead and welcome Alex to the Lightning Junkies podcast. How are you doing today, Alex? Great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I definitely wanted to get you on because you're like the routing note aficionado. You were telling me that's a very complicated topic and there's not a rule book or anything written out for that. And we're definitely going to hit that, I think. But first, I wanted to kind of assume that no one knows who you are, even though everyone knows who you are. I want to assume that maybe like a new person listening to this maybe doesn't know who you are. So would you mind giving us like a brief background, you know, maybe before you got into BitGo and
1: how your adventure in Bitcoin started and where you came from before then? Currently, I'm working at Lightning Labs and I've been there for a couple of years now. I work as the Lightning Infrastructure Lead. So I work on services. The big one is the Lightning Loop service that we offer for getting inbound liquidity. And then, as you mentioned before, I worked at Lighting Labs. I worked at a company called Bitco, um, and I worked on a a private blockchain project there that was a fork of BTCD. And I worked also on Lighting at Bitco, doing some research there. Before I worked at Bitco, I was a participant in a program from Chaincode Labs, which was called the Hacker Residency. That's something that they have since done multiple iterations of, but that was kind of the first Hacker Residency program. And that's where I got to kind of learn about Bitcoin in depth from core developers, Matt Corallo and Alex Morcos, Suhas. You know, they kind of uh, taught us about the internals of Bitcoin, how they do development on, on Bitcoin Core, the philosophy behind decisions that they're making. And that was very helpful. It was a, a month long program. And then before that, um, I founded my own company to do different applications, software development, but uh, we ended up doing iPhone and Android kind of cross-platform productivity applications. Um, so that's what I worked on before I got into Bitcoin. And then even before that, I worked on a company that was doing uh, open source versions of enterprise software um, to try to make alternatives to high priced proprietary application middleware servers um, and, and help support companies moving to open source software.
0: Got it. Very interesting. And it sounds like you've always kind of had an interest in open source. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've been uh, interested in open source, you know, uh, way before I got into Bitcoin. And like at Source Labs, that's a company I was working at for the open source middleware effort. Uh, I worked with a, a guy, Bruce Perens, and you know, we really got deep into what are the different classes of open source, like what can be used where, and what's the philosophy there. And I think that's you know, such a great foundation for Bitcoin that not too many people talk about, which is that there's this like open source universe out there that's helping people um, write software and write software that's trust minimized.
0: It's really awesome to hear that you've had that background. It's my understanding that you ended up getting the job at Lightning Labs primarily because of your
1: y'alls.org project, or am I misunderstanding that? I'm not sure exactly why. One thing, though, that I did work on that I didn't mention is that after I left Bitco, I worked on a project called Submarine Swaps. And that was a concept that I had, which was um, kind of, coming out of some ideas that we had at Bitco of like, how are we going to actually implement Lightning on top of an existing user base who's used to using the chain? I created this concept, Submarine Swaps, which was a a way to, in a non-custodial fashion, move money from the chain to the Lightning Network or from the Lightning Network to the chain. And I built out this concept into an open source server and a web client and try to make it just very easy to go in between the two the two worlds. And then uh, Lightning Labs gave me a call as they were expanding, and they said, you know, we're looking for somebody to help us out on some secret projects. But then when I did get hired, um, the first project was to do a submarine swap server at Lightning Labs, um, which is the Lightning Loop servers.
0: Got it. So but just to kind of go back here for a moment, because I really like the the y'all's website. I'm not sure if too many people kind of know the background for the name and the general concept. But if I were to guess, it's kind of based on the Ryan X Charles, yours org. That was kind of
1: around at that point, I think, when you started the project. It's not really anymore. Yeah. So Ryan X Charles, he's actually also an ex-Bitco, an ex-Bitco employee. And um, he, at the time, it seems like ancient history now, was kind of making grandiose statements about how some fork chain is going to take over and it's going to be worth a trillion dollars or whatever. And um, actually, I didn't name yals.org. So at the time when I created it, it was called LN Articles, and it was not a very imaginative name. Lalu, roast beef um, from Lightning Labs, you know, he messaged me and he said, well, you know, what, what if you called it y'alls.org? And so uh, I, I was surprised that the domain was available, um, but it was cheap. And I just uh, switched it over to that name. And it was, it, I think that was a joke. He said, yeah, it's kind of yours.org except it's, uh, you know, it's, it, it's a play on that. Before
0: we move on from y'alls here for a second, do you intend to put any more effort into the kind of articles part of it? Because I've been on there for a while and it seems like you've done some work with some of the opening channels, you know, paying a couple dollars to open up a channel or something. And that seems to be your focus. You're working at Lightning Lab, so you're obviously very busy. Do you intend to kind of do more more work on y'alls in the future or is it just more of a proof of concept?
1: Well, I would definitely... And say that the, it is mostly kind of a test case. Um, and that's how I began it, right? The, the reason that I created the site in the first place is that I wanted to make my own lightning wallet. And the problem that I faced as, as developing a lightning wallet was that there was nothing to buy, that no stores existed. I thought, you know, how am I going to make a great experience for people if I can't even simulate what they're going to do? I made org from actually previous work that I had done at my old company. So I just repurposed an existing framework that I had, which really let me make something very quickly. After I made you then it was kind of like, it's there, I can kind of experiment with different things. Like you said, with the channel open service, somebody can come to Y'alls and they can buy a channel from me directly. I would love to work on it more. I kind of consider it a success that I can keep it alive and and working, just like, because there's various maintenance things that come across every once in a while. But, you know, there's a million people, you know, asking me to do a million things in a million different directions. So, you know, sometimes you have to focus.
0: Absolutely. Moving on here, after y'alls and all that, you got your job at Lightning Labs. What's the job title again, just to make sure I don't butcher it? Lightning Infrastructure Lead. What does that mean exactly?
1: Before, I, when I worked at Bitco, I was an engineer. So I was a part of the, the development team. And one thing that I missed from having my own company was uh, working at a higher level of thinking what are the customers going to want and still doing coding, but working more at a prototype level and at an orchestration level. This kind of means that I'm at a high level, thinking, working with customers, working with the, the early services to um, try to bootstrap this network. I still write code, but uh, a lot of it is prototyping code. And then as far as Loop goes, I do things like release management and thinking about where we're going to take it and what problems people need to be solved. Um, So I'm more of like a technical program manager.
0: Would you say that Lightning Labs brought you on because you were like really leading the charge in these kinds of tools that would help routing nodes and things like that? Because that seems to be really your bread and butter here.
1: It's funny, actually, it's kind of the reverse. Uh, I had a routing node pretty early, but I didn't focus on it too much because the, the early Lightning Network just had very little routing traffic, period. So the thing that I was thinking about liquidity management as it pertains to how you're going to move funds when you can't manage liquidity inside the network itself, that you have to go to the blockchain I made certain presentations i I, like i went to the co-working space that lightning labs was in and gave a presentation about submarine swaps and all the different ways that they could be used i think that was probably the most interesting aspect is how are we going to allow services to to bloom on on this network and then after i joined the the network really started to take off you know now it's still growing we have the larger size channels you know, it's still a fast-moving place, but my node started to see more routing activities. And then also, as part of running the Lightning Loop service, that's something where I have to uh, pay t- close attention to how, how routing is working on the network. And then I worked on another project, um, which was to d- generate a list of scores um, of all the nodes in the network to get a sense of uh, which routing nodes are good routing nodes. That was a, a project that I, I worked on that continues to this day, um, which is to do monitoring to see how routing is working. And that helps me run my own node as well to un- have a deep understanding of how uh, you can be a great service provider for the network. And be- the service you're providing is you're moving funds from channel A to channel B.
0: Could you go into the boss score a little bit more? Like, for example, I took a moment to see what my uh, kind of modest routing node is, and it's, it says 11 million. Is that a good score or what does that mean for me?
1: So the BOS score it has the two components. It has one component, which is, are you online? If you're not online, you're going to cause routing failures because people are going to try to pay through you and then they're going to hit you and then you're going to bounce the payment back to them because you're offline, you're not able to forward for them. So that's kind of like the baseline score of the list. The list is a list of all the notes that have been filtered down out of the, all of the nodes on the entire network of number one, who is perceived to be online a good amount of time. And the number two is a little bit more complicated, which is who has routing liquidity, who has inbound and outbound liquidity allocated in such a way that if you try to route through them, you're not going to hit an error, a liquidity error. And the reason that you would hit a liquidity error is like, let's say you're a node and you have all of your funds on one side and no funds on the other side. Well, you can't forward because you could only forward in one direction. You need to balance out your liquidity so that if the forward comes from one side, you can move it to the other side. If the liquidity comes from the other side, you can move to this, to the other side. That's more of a nuanced process because you need to have not only liquidity that's balanced, but it also allocated to the correct peers. Like it's useless to allocate liquidity to directions that nobody wants to go. So those are kind of like the two aspects that make up the score and the score is out of 100 million. Like after Bitcoin, we have 100 million Satoshis. So in the scoring list, we have 100 million points. Probably 10 million would be at the lower end of the score. So, you know, what I would suggest is to um, get more inbound liquidity and outbound liquidity in a balanced way.
0: Speaking of which, I think that's a really good segue there, kind of talking about my personal routing node challenges. I'm not going to claim to be any kind of expert, you know, I'm not some super tech person here either. I just, you know, play with things and keep trying and keep trying until I can kind of work or whatever. In this case, you know, I have my routing node on a BTC pay server, basically, because that's, you know, the first real lightning node that I had was that. And I basically never closed any of the channels. and I just, you know, just left it there and it's worked the best for me. Over time, I've you know went from using the command line to be able to see what's being routed, what my fees are, how I can optimize things, to being able to use something like RTL, which has been doing a really good job lately, in, you know, getting loop on there. Like it doesn't have it on the BTC pay server side yet, but on something like my node, which I also have here uh, locally, um, you can definitely use loop in and loop out. And I was getting like super excited because I was able, you know, I think you have an opinion on this of, you know, how to best uh, balance uh, your your channels there. But the idea and the power of, of loop just being an interface like RTL is so powerful and makes it so like a newbie like me can basically turn into like a real kind of merchant because, you know, I'm also selling shirts and other things on the side here, whatever. Okay, kind of long diatribe to kind of ask, are there any kind of good tips, kind of basic tips Tips that someone that's just starting a routing node should you know keep in mind. Is there like a a minimum amount of Bitcoin or liquidity you want to put in your channels? You know, should you bother with a million Sats or something, etc.
1: It's really very challenging to put into a few words like exactly how to run a routing node, and and the main problem is that you're uh, in a marketplace. The routing network is a marketplace. So you have to think about it that way. You have to think that you're competing with everybody else and they're all offering a similar product. So how do you make your product a bit better? Or how do you bring your cost down a bit bit more? Or how do you offer more product? Um, and the product that you're selling is the routing service. Like the, the basic is, of course, you need to keep your node online. And then after you get, get done with that, I would say, you know, go back to the, the other basic, which is you need to keep your note kind of balanced. You need to make sure that if somebody comes to you and wants to do it forward, that they're not going to get turned away because you don't have the liquidity to do that forward. And that's something that, you know, I, I think RTL has done an amazing job at. BDC Pay has done it, has a good job. Except it's more oriented towards like merchants. And then Lightning Labs itself, as far as like easy to use tools, um, we recently launched a user interface that allows you to use Loop. It's called the Lightning Terminal. So we have a, a solution there that kind of shows you the balances of your channels. Some other mistakes that I think people make when they're when they're setting up a routing node are that they over-allocate outbound liquidity. So Like, let's say you just sit down and you want to make, you want to do a lot of routing and you, you say, okay, well I have $3 million here and I'm going to, I want to be the king of routing. So I'm just going to make channels with everybody in the, under the sun. And the problem that happens there is that every time somebody wants to do a forward with you, they hit a node that has a channel with the, with that $3 million guy but the liquidity is all on the side of the $3 million guy. They're not on the other side. So the forward fails. And in l actually later versions of the code base has taken steps to avoid nodes that are unbalanced. So in theory... By default settings, if you fail like 30 times, you will become completely blacklisted from the pathfinding, and so you won't even be taking into consideration for other paths. And in the future, this could be modified, and people can modify their own configuration settings if they want to. But the, you know, the big idea is that you're able to provide a good service. Um, you're able to forward payments from A to B. The other thing that I would like say people make a mistake at is they think I want to be a routing node. So I'm going to connect to all of the the, the top nodes. And I'm just going to go and look at all the big nodes, big names. I'm just going to connect to them all. And then I'm going to start routing. But it's not really thinking about what routing is, right? So what routing is, is you are providing connectivity where there wasn't connectivity before. There's no need for somebody to connect people who are already connected. So what you want to do as a routing node is you want to have some nodes that are well-connected but you want to have another set of nodes which are not well connected that you're serving as a connectivity for. You're operating as a bridge there. And I also would say like, you need to be thinking about the, your costs and your fees because you don't want to just um, assign capital to places where it's just going to be useless. And you want to have something to, to help you motivate intelligent decision-making of where you should put your money. So you should set fees in order to to drive that to, to help you make sense of am I doing the right thing and then it will be easy for you to figure it out because if you're making money you're doing the right thing and if you're losing money you're doing something wrong
0: going along with that same idea of fees there um, do you think fees are a way to kind of help balance out your channels by maybe, um, I'm kind of naive here, so please correct me if I'm wrong, but um, I've seen people like Ellen Big, and I've been doing other experiments on my side to see if it works of, you know, depending on what side of the, uh, the channel that I want the liquidity to go, would kind of dictate what fee I might place on that channel to kind of encourage it to move to one side or the other. Do you think that's a valid strategy there?
1: one thing that we're missing in fees is there's no way to charge inbound fees. So if I want the inbound channel to, to change, I can't influence it from that direction, but you can influence uh, outbound direction fees. That's, that's a tool that you have with routing fees. You can set a fee on how much it costs to go in an outbound direction. I would say the way to think about it is if funds are draining out of a channel too quickly, and they're they they're 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 being sent just in a unidirectional way to one particular peer. Then I would think about: are, Am I replacing the inbound liquidity that I'm losing uh, at a sufficient rate? So every time you do a forward, you're stacking up satoshis on the on the channel that you're forwarding out to, and then you're also stacking up satoshis on the on the channel that you, that, that is coming from. This is actually a problem that people have when they when they peer with a node like the Lightning Loop node, that they forward so much to the Lightning Loop node because a lot of people who are using the Lightning Loop node to get inbound liquidity. So the Lightning Loop is doing mainly receipts. And it causes unbalancing of the other channels that the people who peer with Lightning Loop have. So the, the solution to that is to set the routing fee to be a higher rate. So that way, uh, the, if the capital does move, then it's more important capital to move. And then there's also fees involved that allow the capital to be rebalanced, like, okay, maybe we have to make a new channel. Um, so, you know, that that's one way to use fees is like, if it's draining out too quickly from a destination, then you can raise your fees, um, although, I wouldn't always do that because if it's going at a good rate, really what you want to do as a routing node is you want to add more outbound. So if if capital is really draining out of a specific peer in the outbound direction, well, you want to give them more outbound as long as you can sustainably provide inbound side for that outbound. I feel like
0: that, um, like already is a uh, lot of information for someone that's just entering this and having to parse all this out. I really like the idea of the new lightning terminal interface you guys came out with recently i was trying to get it working on my end but due to some other uh tech issues i was not able to get it going in time but could you kind of go into that a bit more and let me know how like a merchant or some other uh routing node type person
1: might utilize it and uh, what's its use cases and such i'm not sure i would say it's like made for routing nodes it's definitely like Trying to um, help the people who are building out the endpoints of the service. Right. So, people who are maybe receiving a lot, like a merchant. Um, and in that case, um, the idea is that you don't need to know too much about channel liquidity or talent balances or you know which, which side it's on. Um, instead, you're gonna run a, a simple graphical user interface. You're gonna pull it up. It's gonna show you colors that um, indicate what are the status of your peers. And if the color is like a red color, it means that the, the inbound liquidity that you want from your peers as a merchant is low, and then you can uh, increase that inbound liquidity using Lightning Loop. Um, so the the application is like a Lightning Loop user interface, um, and it does also allow you to do to kind of set your color scheme. So if you're a spending type of a node, then actually you're you have the reverse problem. Let's say you're doing mostly spends. Um, what you want is outbound liquidity. You want to be able to spend. So uh, it will reverse the color coding. And then it does have a balanced mode. So if you do want to uh, move funds back and forth, it has a mode for that as well. So it will try to keep it into balance. Although personally, like as a routing node, I think if you get into the more advanced routing nodes, uh, you would not want to maintain balances as far as percentage wise. So this is kind of like the entrance version of how how to operate a node.
0: Got it. Yeah, I've definitely seen you say that on uh, Twitter before, saying don't go for strictly, you know, 50-50 type things. Can you go into a bit
1: more of why that is? For one, mathematically, you know, we can't all be balanced. Like some people have more capital. As soon as money moves around then it's fundamentally unbalancing. That's an issue that we have with Lightning like Loop is the more people who do loops, the more imbalance it gets because they're taking money out of the Lightning Network. There's also like just a very practical reason why balance is not that important. If, you, if you're trying to route a payment and the payment is for $100, then any amount that's over $100 is superfluous. You don't need, you don't only need the amount necessary to route the payment. If you're trying to get to 50% or something, well, that's not really helping anything. That's not that's not reducing the failure rate of routing. I think that's what people should focus on is not so much like, okay, it's you know, half of the funds are on my side and half of them are on your side. That's something that can change all the time. I find on my node that that flows are not balanced. You know, some of the flows are balanced, they go back and forth, but the, the majority of, of flows are not balanced. That you know, people spend down channels. And that's not necessarily negative about the Lightning Network. It's just not 100% efficient as far as capital utilization. It means that the, the blockchain is still useful to us because it has certain advantages as far as moving capital around um, that Lightning can't, can't deliver. I would like trying to just think realistically about what is the payment channel delivering to me? It's delivering to me aggregation? What am I doing as a router? I'm minimizing failures. I'm not necessarily chasing a balance number just because I wanna be at a certain balance number. And then you were also talking
0: before how you can't just open up some Lightning channels to to anybody because you have to be very deliberate and intentional with who you might connect your um, routing node to. I think some quick examples might be I'm going to connect to Fold, I'm going to connect to Strike because those are probably the two uh, most used apps on all of the Lightning network if I were to guess. And so I feel like just those two channels being open, you know, if balanced correctly could just keep seeing stuff flow between them. I mean, probably flow in one direction, really. But still, do you think that kind of strategy is effective? Or does it need to be even smarter than that? Like you were saying, you need to go find the smaller nodes and get them included on your routing node as well?
1: I would say the smaller nodes, because it's like, that's the thing about it being a marketplace, every obvious answer will already have somebody there. So what you want to look for are the unobvious things, you know, the store that nobody ever heard of. If you're the guy there providing them liquidity, then you're able to do the routing. Um, I I mean, I'm not saying don't make any channel to fold, don't make any channel to strike, but just consider that there's a lot of people there already and that they're not an underserved target. It's really like a, a balancing act because if everybody didn't connect to them, of course, then they would be a prime target for connecting to The the other thing is, sometimes I I think people um, who are merchants or spenders, they feel like they have to connect directly to each other. And I hope to see less of that. So what I'd hope to see is as a merchant, that you would run your node, maybe even privately, that you wouldn't even publicly be a routing node. And I know that this is an issue even for a merchant, because what happens if a customer creates a channel to you And then they slowly spend it down, but it takes them a year and you have all this money that you are getting on your side of the channel, but you don't, you need to pay your bills. You need to pay your employees, things like that. If you accept channels from everybody, you're not getting the aggregation benefit of lightning of okay, now I have some money that I can move around throughout the network, or I have a channel that I can close and get a, make it very efficient because I'm only closing one channel, but it's responsible for thousands of people's of transactions. I'm hoping to see um, kind of a separation in the future network where you wouldn't even necessarily have these very obvious uh, destinations. You would just be trying to purely focus on being a good router and connecting to other good routers. And then the merchants and the spenders would come to the routers.
0: That makes a lot of sense, I think. Going forward, do you think that you guys are doing a lot of uh, great stuff at Lightning Labs there and the different teams that are, de- are, are developing on Lightning or, you know, adding a lot of stuff? I believe recently uh, the multi-part payment um, update made it into LND. is this right?
1: Yeah, that's correct. Multipath payments are now supported by uh, LND. They were supported in 0.10.0 for sending, and in 0.9, they were supported for receiving. If you've had a Lightning node for a while with LND, then you probably can't do multipath payments. Although there's a lot of iteration still to be done on it. And it is not an atomic uh, multipath payment, which means that technically speaking, the receiver can take part of the payment um, and not the entire payment.
0: Got it. That would be the, uh, the AMP instead of just MPP, right?
1: Right, right. Although in the case that we use it for Lightning Loop, it's really allowed us to be a lot more efficient with Lightning Loop. Because before, we had this situation with Lightning Loop where you would loop out one channel. But if you had 10 channels, you'd have to do 10 different loops, which would mean 10 different on-chain transactions, which would be costly and chain inefficient. But with multipath payment, what we can do is we can say, you have 10 different channels. So each of the channel can make an off-chain payment, and then we can pay it back to you on the chain. And that's only one on-chain transaction. So you get the benefit of increasing your inbound liquidity on 10 channels, but you're only paying the cost of one on-chain transaction. And that's something that we're also still iterating on to try to make that even more, more efficient, especially as chain fees go up.
0: Besides the atomic portion that needs to be kind of worked on and added in there, what else can really be added to, you know, multi-part payments here?
1: In the Lightning Loop case, actually, it is, it's a lot more atomic because you, as the initiator of the submarine swap, are the one who is finalizing it. So you're paying off-chain, but you're actually paying to a secret that only you know. And then you wait for the funds to be sent back to you on-chain. And then once you see that those funds are confirmed and sent back to you on-chain, only then do you reveal the pre-image. That gives you actually more atomic control. The server is incapable of taking part of the payment in that case. But outside of that case, it might be nice that you would just have no possibility for part of the payment to be taken by the receiver. And there's another thing that I think that could be helpful, which is link-level multipath payments. So let's say that you have multiple channels between two different peers. At the moment... That will require two different HTLCs on those two different channels between those, even though the peers, there's only two peers, you know, if they have N channels, it requires N different HTLCs. One thing that we could do in the future is we could merge all of those HTLCs together into one HTLC. That would allow you to create more channels and then multiplex them all together and make them appear as if they were a much larger channel. I would help you with flexibility as far as adding more liquidity, reducing liquidity, because you could do it in chunks. It also reduces the potential cost if the channel force closes. Now, instead of 10 HDLCs, you have maybe one HTLC.
0: Moving on here uh, slightly, uh, something else that you guys added recently is Wombo, is that right?
1: Yeah, yeah. In multipath payments and in the larger channels, this has been kind of like a a specification process that, uh, you know, we kind of had to coordinate how these things are going to work. You know, what are the easy paths? What can we kind of postpone? Larger channels is kind of like a flag that just says, let's take the safety limits off. And actually, a lot of the larger nodes had already taken the safety limits off. But this is kind of making it so that anybody can do that without forking the code base. It's going to take a little while for the network to grow into these larger channels. And it's not on by default. You have to opt into it. But uh, I can see that the the change is already starting to happen.
0: How fast do you think that the, the uptake on that's going to be, you know, do you see regular users loading in like an entire Bitcoin or something or just mainly for larger merchants or, you know, other big providers?
1: I think part of it depends on the chain fees. So one of the best benefits of the larger channels, you're paying less in chain fees, right? You're, you're having one channel that can do so many, so many payments. If it's a, it's now 10 times, 100 times bigger, so you, that's just so much more payments that you can do before closing the channel. It's just cheaper. So if chain fees go up, and I, I anticipate there'll be larger and larger channels to just save money. The thing that I think is going to make it, you know, not going to grow that quickly is that this kind of like web of liquidity it, it doesn't just change overnight like if i go ahead and make five btc channels to my peers there's no point to that because i don't have five btc inbound channels to service five btc outbound flows that's number one problem number two problem is there's a bootstrapping issue which is that applications that would be developed for larger amounts would not run on Lightning because Lightning wouldn't be able to run those networks uh, larger sense. We have a a catch 22. Nobody's gonna add more capital because there's no applications that is gonna use that capital. There's no applications that are gonna use that capital because there's no liquidity for it. So what we're gonna have to do is we're gonna have to ramp up. So we're gonna say, okay, we have a certain level of trading activity, but it's at level one BTC and that's what it was at this month. But, you know, the the liquidity adapted to that, it grew into that. And now people are pushing that limit. They're going into 2 BTC. And so the Lightning network is going to have to grow organically, which also means that if you try to if you try to replicate the Lightning network, it would be difficult in the far future because you would be missing that organically grown network of liquidity allocation. You would have no information of where to put the capital.
0: Okay, so you know, we kind of went over some of the uh, the cool stuff that's coming out, some of the things that are really pushing us forward here, inch by inch, it seems like. It seems like the public capacity on Lightning is slowly creeping up. It isn't, you know, racing up or anything, but I, I definitely see it recovering from its low previously. Do you continue to see this number going up or are you not in the business of predicting things? Huh.
1: It's actually, funnily enough, my job to make the number go down because, you know, what I want to see is I want to see people getting more out of less. I want them to be not have to put so many funds in public channels. I want the network to be more private. And I want... The people who are the merchants who are stacking up the coins, I want them to be able to feel free to take that money out and be sending it to the exchanges they want to send it to or put it into cold storage to keep it safer. I wouldn't say that like the total capacity going up is any kind of goal, but it, it's an interesting metric to look at. And I do think it will, will go up with the larger channel sizes uncapped. Um, and I think it will go up fairly quickly. Because there is this growing process of, I'm doing a slightly larger trade. I'm offering slightly larger gift certificates. That's kind of an iterative process, but it's not necessarily like something I want to maximize. I want to kind of go into some broad Lightning stuff here. What
0: do you see as being maybe the biggest reason to be skeptical of Lightning Network?
1: The biggest reason to be skeptical of Lightning is that it requires bootstrapping. It's a new universe. You know, that's what really interested me in this this job and, it, and even getting into Lightning is that I don't consider it like to be a foregone conclusion that Lightning Network will work. It, it has this phase that is a difficult phase, which is it needs to be bootstrapped. It, it needs to get that network effect. A network that has new people it's not a useful network. It needs to have enough people to reach critical mass so that when you want to go and pay somebody with lightning, that they'll be able to receive lightning. The more and more people that we get on, the more uh, utility that we're getting out of this network. At the start, it's a very challenging process.
0: Have you spent much time looking at the various papers that have come out in the last, I don't know, maybe six months or so, Um, like Flood and Loot, um, the one from Renee? There was a timing analysis um, attack that was also written up. Do you currently find uh, Lightning to be safe overall? I mean, I don't want to have you make absolute claims or anything, but would you say it's generally safe for a certain amount, etc.?
1: Well, it's difficult to put a, a label on something like, is Bitcoin safe? Well, if you use it in the wrong way, then it's not safe. And if you use it in the right way, then it is safe. I do think there is so much work to do on safety, for sure. Security is like one of the big stopping points of growth, right? Like if we want the capacity to go up, we need the it to be secure to put your money on there. And if we want the routing fees to go down, we need it to make it so people don't have to be compensated as much to put their money in a hot wallet. I'm confident that we have a good solution overall. I think that the, there's another risk point, which is, that um, there's just like kind of software complexity problems, especially when you have people working together, you have different teams, you have different ideas of what the, you know, different business models, different, uh, you know, roadmaps and timelines. Um, We also have the Bitcoin timeline, the Bitcoin protocols. So all of those things have to come together in a nice way. Sometimes when you have these open standards, it doesn't always go in the right direction. So we need to be careful that like, we're making good standards. And otherwise, we can cre- be creating standards that design ourselves into a into a corner. And then what happens is people will just go in another direction. They'll just be a new rebirth of something else that's simpler. That makes a
0: lot of sense, I think. What do you see as being maybe the most hopeful part of the Lightning Network?
1: The most hopeful part, I think, is the level of progress that has been made. It's very good. So it really is taking root. But all the metrics that I see, they're headed in an upwards direction. I noticed more people taking on like those specialized roles. Like I noticed more people who are interested in becoming routing nodes. I noticed more merchants solving their problems with Lightning. You know, when I was working at uh, BitGo, we had a customer, NiceHash, and they do like cloud mining. One problem that they had is that all of their customers were depositing on chain as they were doing their cloud mining. And they were doing, okay, $1, $1 a day, $1 a day. Back in those days, the chain fees went to maybe $35, you know, a transaction, and they would go to their wallet. And because they had done this inefficient way of withdrawing, where they had lots and lots of very small UTXOs, it looked to them like all of their money was gone. Because the cost that they would have to pay in fees in order to consolidate their UTXOs would be more than the amount that they actually had. And so now I can see, you know, this is years later, now I can see NiceHash. oh, they've been trialing the Lightning Network. Oh, they've been onboarding people into Lightning wallets. And now what they're doing is they can withdraw every day, and there's no problem because they're withdrawing into a channel, and that channel is representing on one UTXO, so no matter what the chain fee gets, it, it will be uh, that one UTXO cost. So that, that's very heartening is that, you know, this is complicated technology, and we need to improve it in lots of ways, but there are people adopting it continuously. I would definitely agree with that.
0: You know, I've been doing the podcast since September, last September, to be clear. It's been a year, actually. Wow, I just noticed that. Have you seen a lot of growth just in that time? I think the answer is yes, from my uh, side.
1: So there's two parts to it, I guess. One part is that I think some people had this dream that lightning would explode in growth beyond the current set of Bitcoiners. And I don't think that we've necessarily had that kind of growth Although there certainly are people who are more interested in app development, kind of poke their toes into lightning because lightning is, is a good form for app development and it's fertile soil. It's a new thing to play around with. There's lots of opportunities to be the first. You know, the hard work is we're still talking about Bitcoin and Bitcoin adoption. And that doesn't happen overnight. I wish it did, but that's what we're building. We're building a tool for Bitcoiners. And there is only a limited number of Bitcoiners and there's a limited number of Bitcoiners who want to be Bitcoin spenders. Some of the more complicated parts of how we can get adoption, I think are just going to take more time. And I wish it were faster, but it it isn't.
0: All right. I think we're reaching towards the end here of the hour that we had. I do have one last kind of cheeky question here, if you don't mind me asking it. So um, you used to work at uh, BitGo and one of BitGo's more recent projects that people like to talk about a lot is WBTC. And I'm sure you're aware of all the FUD out there of Ethereum people that, that like to compare the WBTC to, to the Lightning Network. Do you think that's a very fair comparison when WBTC is basically held entirely by Bitcoin?
1: That is interesting. Actually, when I first joined Bitcoin, they only worked with Bitcoin. And then later they, they moved into other products. They were also very uh, initially very um, against doing custodial products because they didn't have the licensing and they, they weren't ready to do um, trust minimized software. So their goal was to only be a co signer. After I left Bitco, they did do this WBTC project, which I think is interesting. Um, I'm not like against the project, I, I think um, it doesn't really represent anything other than this is just another way to move money to move numbers around in a database that represents funds, that represents some money. That's something like, that's just what an exchange does. And that's also a great way to scale, right? Like if you wanna scale trading, you should just make a trading database. You don't need to necessarily show it to everybody in the world. It can be in a database, that's reality. I would say though, like if you actually look at like the fees to move around WBTC and the fees to move around um, Lightning, Well, for small amounts, lightning fees are going to be orders of magnitude cheaper than WBTC movement fees. I think people are starting to get sticker shock right now on something that they were sold as as being infinitely scalable. So, you know, when I was working... You know, years ago on Bitcoin, and Bitcoin was facing scaling issues. People were looking at these empty blockchains, and they were saying, "Well, they can confirm in fifteen seconds, and their their fee is one penny." And they were saying, "Well, if we just switch over to use that and build our project on that, then it's going to be costing one penny. So why should we spend thirty five dollars on?" On uh, Bitcoin, but of course now that they have switched over certain projects, in which we wanted them to, we don't want to necessarily serve as a clearinghouse for all data on the blockchain. That's that's precious space. It's kind of influenced the decentralization aspects. So now that the, now that they found kind of like some suckers who are willing to to host that that data for them to be providing a free service to these companies, um, they're noticing. Oh well, actually, that that this model itself is unscalable unless you do have fees, and you need to rate limit it. And the only real way to rate limit is by making people pay fees. And now that we have hit the capacity limits, which are low for this design, we're having to pay $1, $2. And you know, tomorrow or the next day, it could be
0: $30. The reason that I, I bring that up is I feel like that's the most common FUD out there at the moment is, you know, look at all that Bitcoin on Ethereum. And I I find it to be kind of dishonest in the sense that, yeah, you know, there's a single counterparty and I think the second place one, RenBTC, is also centralized. (laughs) They're comparing it to the Lightning Network, which I don't see as being even remotely a centralized. You're bringing up like these other uh, like tokens that are, you know, talking about speed and, you know, the cheapness of the uh, transactions as you know, the main selling point. Would you agree that that isn't the real selling point or else Dogecoin would have took off and conquered you know, Bitcoin in 2015 or something?
1: It might be a selling point as far as it works for a while. But if it is a selling point in terms of like, this is a design that will scale infinitely, it just doesn't make sense. It's like logically, it doesn't work. It only works if not too many people use it. There's so many other parts to running a sustainable blockchain that Bitcoin, even Bitcoin will struggle with, that other chains eventually will have to grapple with. Um, And I noticed like Ethereum Classic, they've been having 51% attacks. I think in the maturity of the market, like 51% attacks as soon as subsidies go away, as soon as mining gets more mature, that all of these kind of copycat chains are going to have to deal with all these real problems and they might just fall over. I would agree with all that. I think, uh, and then I guess my my final question
0: is kind of left field slightly. Do you have any particular interest in layer three stuff like RGB or any of that fancy stuff that they're doing over there?
1: I do think it's interesting to kind of improve the set of options that we have for moving stuff, like moving funds around. Like even I will use USDC tokens like to move you know my my USD around. I'm not like opposed to the whole concept of tokens, but I think it's important to be realistic. Like, You can't divorce fiat from trust. That's central to the way that it works. You'd also have to think about almost every asset is corresponding to something in the real world, which means it's corresponding to, to trust. So that's something special about Bitcoin that I don't think we can necessarily say, okay, we're going to copy paste it here going to copy paste it there we can get some advantages though we can get more transparency we can get just like a redesign of the interface we can get just better marketing so people are more excited about using it i'm not so excited about tokens as, as far as like there's some kind of new technology i'm more more excited just about like we can take existing things and just make them better
0: all right um so at this point um i would love for you to give our audience any advice. Some parting words, you know, anything that they should do to become, you know, more involved in Lightning or otherwise help in Lightning? You know, what can they do?
1: I would definitely not be intimidated by Lightning and think, oh, I'm not a programmer or I'm not a front end or I'm not XYZ. And so I can't take part in this. I also wouldn't look at it in a critical eye as far as those guys are not moving fast enough because this is an open source project. So if you believe in it and you're interested in it, then it, we, you know, the people involved want you to be a participant in this kind of peer-to-peer open source system. And it's not just um, some kind of company like slapping a label on a product and saying, can you use it? This is something where everybody can have access to there's actually a lot of fun things that you can do with it. It's interesting to play around with. There's definitely a lot of new possibilities for application developers, for people to develop stores, to people to interact with each other more because that's really what like trading is about. That's what sending money is, is that you're having an interaction with somebody at any level. It'll be interesting to get involved. It doesn't require a lot of money. Like lightning, the the whole concept is minimal amounts. I just give it a shot and like kind of jump in and don't be don't be intimidated. Would you want to go ahead and tell the listeners
0: how they can find you on Twitter and the internet and such?
1: I'm generally Alex Bosworth. So on Twitter, I'm Twitter, Alex Bosworth. And on GitHub, I'm Alex Bosworth. And I try to post like Bitcoin-related tweets on a regular basis on the Twitter. And on GitHub, I have some prototypes and some ideas, coding ideas, if that's what you're into.
0: I really appreciate you joining me on the Lightning Junkies podcast, Alex.
1: It was great to be
0: on. Uh, Thanks so much. Absolutely. Boom. That was the 36th episode of the Lightning Junkies podcast. Hopefully you learned something from this episode. This was definitely one of the more informative episodes of Lightning Junkies, even if it wasn't as long as I would have preferred. Just want to give a quick shout out since we are on the topic of routing nodes. One of our listeners named Jester started a new website for helping people with their routing nodes called satbase.org. We would definitely invite you to go check out this website and check out this resource. We're definitely going to be keeping an eye on it ourselves. As far as Lightning Junkies goes, we're continuing to improve our store at store.lightningjunkies.net. Like we mentioned in the intro, we're adding a new shirt and a new sticker to the store, the See You on the Lightning Junkies sticker and shirt. We definitely like the design and we really hope you would support the show by purchasing one or both of those items or any of the other items we currently have on the store. That's it for now. I definitely enjoyed this episode and I hope you did too. But for now, we'll see you on the Lightning Network.